Beth Bauer remembers the most difficult group she ever spoke to about her work with Rachel's Vineyard, a post-abortive healing retreat that she brought to Michigan 20 years ago. It was a Students for Life group. And they were, they're like this, their hands are folded, like they're back in their chairs, it's going, because they have that mentality. How could anyone kill their child? After about 15 minutes, where Beth felt like she wasn't convincing anybody of the importance of caring for post-abortive women, she threw out her notes and decided to bring out the next presenter. This group, she thought, needs to come face-to-face with a woman who's been there. They need to hear her story. And I went, um brought a woman who had an abortion and she shared her story and that it's a personal encounter and when someone shares her story and their grief and their regret there's nothing you can do but but attach to that and I shared about the retreat and you could see them like their body language was changing and they were moving forward and it's about that personal encounter. Beth's been speaking to pro-life groups for years as part of her work as a diocesan social justice coordinator and the consistent misunderstanding she encounters is part of an us versus them mentality, that abortions are a secular problem. One in every four women is post-abortive. And that's not just one in every four women in the secular world, Mm -hmm. it's in our churches. And you wanna offer them healing and hope and um, acknowledge that they're wounded. That's Beth's work with Rachel's Vineyard. She's offering healing retreats to heal the emotional, psychological, and spiritual wounds of post-abortive women and men who are in dire need of solace. While much of the efforts of the pro-life movement are understandably devoted to preventing the loss of infant life, Beth's work focuses on another deeply harmful aspect of abortion, the wounded who have already chosen. Beth believes that if we all realized how many men and women in our own pews, crying in our adoration chapels, even at our pro-life dinners and rallies, are bearing this silent wound, we might all be motivated to do the same. We might see the so-called other side with a little more empathy. You don't hear a story you don't know, but stories connect, stories are healing, right? And that's what makes us people, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is our wounding and our brokenness and that we're all grieving in some way. And it's, it's not a woman going, I know what I'm doing, I don't care what I'm doing, and I'm gonna do it anyway. That is not the majority of people who have abortions. Over the last 20 years, Beth has listened to the stories of hundreds of post-abortive women and men of all faiths and denominations as they sought healing at the retreats she hosts all throughout Michigan. Today on our program, we'll hear one of those stories and the retreat they experienced that pulled them out of their wounds. Today, we're going to hear two stories from those in the pews. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. This segment of Detroit Stories is brought to you by our friends at Catholic Funeral and Cemetery Services, a ministry of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Pre-planning your Catholic funeral is a gift of love for those you cherish. To learn more about pre-planning to prepare those you care about for this journey, visit cfcsdetroit.org. Part 1. College Anne-Marie and David Sauvé have been married 37 years and have three daughters. They are parishioners at Holy Spirit Catholic Church in Shields, Michigan, where Anne-Marie facilitates a women's Bible study and has been a catechist for 20 years. The two started a March for Life in Saginaw 
and have been busy starting a Walking with Moms in Need group at their parish. By all appearances, they are the model pro-life Catholic couple. But there's more to their story. It starts in college. I attended CMU, and I was living in Wheeler um, Towers, one of the dorms. And the um, RA there on my floor actually went to high school with you, right, Dave? Mm -hmm. Is that, yeah. She went to high school, Dave. She brought our floor over to one of their fraternity parties. Um, so that was the first time I met Dave. The two became fast friends, then more than friends. Dave asked her to homecoming, and within a few months, they were exclusively dating and sleeping together. And while it had all the appearances of another flash-in-the-pan college romance, they both found themselves entertaining the possibility of a future together, even if that was a foggy daydream in the throes of undecided majors and unsure life plans. The daydreams came to a crashing halt with an unwelcome reality check. And it was um, a, the, the fall of 1981 that she came to me and said, you know, I missed my period. I, I, I think I have to go get test, a test and um, test was positive. And I just, I was like in shock and disbelief. Like how, like how could this happen? Mm. You know, how. Um, I knew how it happened, but I mean, you know, it is, it's just a natural reaction. There was a lot they hadn't scripted for their futures. What their majors would be, their desired careers, where they would live. But a premarital baby in college was definitely not in the script. So I, I. It was as if I had blinders on, you know, like I couldn't see beyond the fact that the reality was, was that she was pregnant. I just kept seeing the idea that this, this couldn't happen. You know, we were trying to prevent this. I felt, yeah, extremely um, scared thinking, you know, how, how could I do this? You know, um, you know, am I, I'm going to have to get a, a job um, on top of going to school. You know, what kind of income can I make at this point? So I was kind of thinking about a couple of different tracks. And I just um, was frightened, but I was kind of, not kind of, I, I, I was ashamed. It's like I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't share it with anybody. And I, on the other hand, was um, very aware of the situation. Um, I was very ashamed too, because, you know, I had grown up and I was raised in a very strong Catholic family. Um, my father was very much a part of the church. My mother was very, well, to a certain extent, because she never drove. So it wasn't like she did a lot of things, but she was, you know, part of the Catholic Women's League. I mean, you know, things like that that took place way back then. Um, so she, you know, she was committed to, I mean, they both were, and they raised us. I mean, as a family, we would be kneeling around their bed, you know, saying the rosary every Sunday night. So it wasn't like I wasn't taught the right things, and I was, you know, raised correctly. I was, you know, filled with shame thinking, you know, that, I can't go to my parents. I can't tell them this. And I knew very well they're going to say, you know, well, why aren't you, you know, why didn't you 
pay attention to your faith and, and not follow, you know, into fall into this. All these thoughts just, just kept swallowing me up, basically. The shame and the hurt and the scaredness and, and what am I going to do? I'm, I'm not going to be able to go back to college. You know, I'll just, I'll end up having this child and then have the baby and take care of it and have to get a job to be able to take care of the baby and I won't continue to move on with my, you know, career choices. But as terrifying as the reality of a future with a baby was to Anne-Marie, there was another future that was even more unthinkable to her, a future without David. I was very fearful of his reaction as to how things were going to fall into place. Never did I, in my wildest dreams, think he was going to suggest an abortion. But I was more concerned that he was going to just kind of like say, you know, I can't deal with this and walk away from everything. But the fact that when he did approach me about, you know, saying, you know, well, I will pay for this. Don't worry about it. Everything will be taken. Inside of me was like battling thinking, I can't, I don't really believe in doing that, but I thought, if I don't do it, what's he going to do? You know, I mean, I was torn. I was totally torn. David was equally torn about the thought of losing Anne-Marie, but that was one of many things that went unspoken between them. I felt like our relationship had, um, you know, this was somebody I wanted to to spend a long time with uh, and that we had a future together and, you know, would, would, uh, very likely lead to marriage. And, but, you know, I, I never, I never told her that. I mean, that's, that's, you know, number one on the regret list is that I never communicated that part of it to her and say, and to, to tell her that, you know, whatever decision we make together, you know, I, I, I won't leave you. I, I felt that way, but how would she know that if I didn't communicate that to her? In my mind, I just wanted to turn back the dial of the clock and and just believe that, you know, physically, you know, we could we could do that. They decided turning the clock back meant removing the complication of a pregnancy. They found an abortion clinic in Lansing and scheduled an appointment. There wasn't much talking on the drive. So many things were going through my mind that I just didn't feel I could relate to him. So it was quite a bit of silence. And when we got there and to the clinic and we walked in, I pretty much at that point was, all my emotions were stirred up. And so I started crying as soon as I was sitting in that waiting room, you know, and I think that's when he realized the impact, but he felt, you know, what what do I do now? Whatever doubts David soon felt overwhelmed by were soon ushered out the same way Anne-Marie was from the waiting room. Upon seeing Anne-Marie in distress, an employee at the clinic hugged her and comforted her that everything would be fine as she escorted her out of the waiting room away from David and the other patients into the operating room. Anne-Marie was prepped for the procedure and partially sedated. 
when I was on that table. I have never had such a dark moment in my life. Um, I felt like I was totally blacked out because in some respects, I mean, now when I look at it, I feel I turned my back completely, um, both, you know, on my child as well as on what God was supposed to be part of my life. Um, I just turned myself away. Instead of putting my trust and faith in him, I just secluded him. Um, and it was like a, to be honest with you, it was a, um, I wasn't physically paralyzed. I was emotionally paralyzed um, in a sense at that point in time. Um, and, you know, because they kept reassuring. That's all they kept doing was reassuring. Everything's going to be fine. Everything will be okay. You're going to get through this. You'll be able to move on with your life, you know. And even when I was brought into the recovery room, another woman tried to reassure me and, you know, she was doing what she felt was the best thing in her heart, you know. Um, but, you know, the moment I was trying to absorb everything she was saying, kept saying to myself, I guess it's okay. I guess things will be fine now. But things weren't fine. Turning back the clock to their pre-pregnancy relationship didn't play out like they had hoped. And try as they did to go back to a normal life, Anne-Marie and David's new normal meant suppressing that sorrowful day in Lansing as much as possible for the next 20 years. Part two, the movement. In the early 1980s, it was on the heels of passing Roe v. Wade and abortions were at their highest rates. There was really nobody to reach out to where the campuses today fortunately have those access you know, the access. They existed. It's they just, did exist. It's just I don't they think they existed less, as much. Less known. Yeah, you know. or less known. Maybe not publicly speaking, spoken of as much. So, Since 1973, the church in Detroit has been growing more vocal about their resources for vulnerable women and mothers, including the Walking with Moms in Need ministry, to the retreats for post-abortive men and women that are offered in English, Spanish, and Polish. They have been on the front lines of ministry development, working to equip women with everything they need to choose life. Here's the pro-life coordinator for the Archdiocese of Detroit, Kathleen Wilson. Within the Archdiocese, the Project Rachel helpline does provide a, a referral uh, resources um, that individuals can call to find whether they you know, want a retreat or a virtual Bible study, a support group, just a one-on-one -on -one mentor, just to talk to someone, um, counseling, spiritual direction, or a specially trained priest. But we're, we're always looking for people who maybe um, have been healed or feel that they have a heart for this ministry and want to reach out. We, we have plans for ongoing um, training for counselors. We have the deacons who are planning to uh, begin holy hours for life and restoration and healing for families and individuals who have been affected by abortion and uh, plans from for some other training and days of healing in the future. 
the retreats that we offer, the Rachel's Vineyard retreats at this time are in collaboration with some of the other dioceses in Michigan. Um, so it's, it's a beautiful thing that really we work together. So wherever you are and, you know, listening to this podcast, um, whether you're in the state of Michigan or somewhere else, there are specially trained, compassionate, confidential people willing to help you take those steps forward to find the freedom and healing uh, and joy that the Lord wants to restore to you. Part three, the retreat. In the months following the abortion, Dave and Anne-Marie made some changes to their life. They grew in their faith. They joined the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship on campus and made a vow to each other to remain celibate until marriage. The unspoken vow between them was that they would keep their abortion their secret, buried, pushed to the side, in order to thrive as a couple and individuals. They graduated college, got engaged, and in 1985, they got married. Years passed, and they had three beautiful daughters, and by all appearances, their plan to erase that day from history appeared to be working. But the truth was a less rosy picture. The anger and the hurt and the... um, I was so resentful to him to date for so long. Um, The resentment just, just built up with me, and I was angry with myself, but I was angry with him as well. The torment because of the backslashes and the moments, you know, things that trigger you in time. Um, Yeah, it's a time of despair uh, for many years. So, and it really put a toll on us. And it was amazing that (laughs) we obviously, I mean, to this day now in our life, we realized that God had a purpose for us to still be together Um, because to be honest with you, I'm surprised that we didn't totally separate from each other and go off, you know, because there were struggles and there were difficult times. Um, But we did work it out and we did fight through things. 22 years after the abortion, David was driving to work listening to Catholic radio when he heard an interview with Beth Bauer about the Rachel's Vineyard retreat. And I thought, Wow, that that's that's a very interesting thing. You know, I've been, you know, it's it's not like you 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 don't ever think about it. It's not you you bury it, but but it still comes to the surface from time to time. I thought immediately, this is something that we need to to kind of look into. Anne Marie, however, was a little more reluctant. He had to pull me there. Um, it was like it was the longest. Yeah walk from the parking lot to the front door. It really was. But that was the hardest part. Once she got through the door, she felt nothing but reassurance that she was finally in the right place. You can sense the hospitality and the the spirit of people there that they were there for you. You know, they were there to offer you you anything you needed to, to make that initial transition possible mm-hmm. everybody is in the same mm-hmm. same position where they have that fear that reluctance of the unknown you're looking around you're going you know what i'm not the only one it's obvious these people have gone through the same thing i've gone through and they're hurting just as much as i'm hurting 
The retreat is scripted, so any and every place in the world that it's offered, it's the same experience. The writer of the retreat, Teresa Burke, is a psychiatrist and former theater minor in college, and the retreats are a perfect amalgamation of the two studies. Every part of the retreat is enhanced with sensory experiences brought by music, movement, and props. We had the session where we had these bandages, okay, like gauze, you know, swab things, and we wrapped the things. I mean, some of these people wrap their whole body, but you could wrap the parts of your body in this, in the cloth that you felt needed to be healed. And just as Jesus healed Lazarus and unwrapped him and, and brought him back to life, um, we had the prayer session with this, right? Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then walked through all of that. I had wrapped all the things. I wrapped my chest for my heart. I wrapped my head for my mind. Um, I wrapped my womb, you know, my body. Um, there were so many beautiful things about that one that really struck me is because each time, each moment, we would be able to unwrap the thing that, you know, they would come by and lay hands on us. And then we would unwrap the one thing that they prayed with us about. So that was very beautiful. And then the other one, I'm going to cry. Um, no, no. Um, the other one is where we sit through a meditation and um, this is where we meet our child. <sighs> face to face in a field of flowers. And when we meet them face to face with a field of flowers, the child, somebody, a facilitator will approach you with a fresh bouquet of flowers. And you can smell this aroma in the room prior to being approached with it. But the whole time you have your eyes closed. So the facilitator will come to you and take your hand and place the bouquet in your hand. Yeah, <laughs> and that was so beautiful to um have that moment of um basically meditating and trying to put together my child, how that child would look, and I, you know, because through the meditation they give you that like step by step feeling of you know, to envision your child. What would your child be doing? How does your child look to you? And then have that vision in your brain, in your mind, and in your soul, and then have that come to you. It was just absolutely profound. Yeah, they're one with Christ, and Christ is, you know, displaying his forgiveness, and he's assuring you that, you know, you'll be united that your child forgives you. It's just, it's, it's just, it's, you know, it's an incredible weekend. Yeah. I think for me, it was actually writing a letter to our child. So we, um, you know, we, we named our child, um, Michael Vincent and, um, you know, we, we recognize them. So when you recognize them and you name them, you, you, are able to mourn, you know, more specifically over the loss. And, and mourning over the loss is a lot different than the guilt and shame that, 
that that you go through in reliving the story over again. Yeah. So it's 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 a complete different thing. It's a complete different shift that now you recognize your child. Now your child is 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 under your understanding that they are with the Lord, and 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 now. Yes, you're 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 sad because you're you're mourning their loss, but at least you can direct them the mourning and you can direct it. And so then you can sit down and write a letter that you read the following day and you know the words and and the emotions just you know come flowing out and and um for some reason, I grabbed a picture of our three girls uh, sitting on the stairs of our deck, you know, just to grab a picture just so I could, you know, think about them when we were there. And what was the, the strange thing about the picture? <laughs> was there, there you know, the, the picture wasn't framed, you know, perfectly. There was like an empty space. Next to the three of them, when they next were to next to the three of them, when they all had their arms around each other, so it was like That's it was like as a profound moment that I pictured our son sitting with the three girls. Yeah. So and and we have the picture under me. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was it was it was a you know that was a special moment. There's a part during Saturday night actually. Yeah. It's Saturday night that we baptize our child and that's when we give them a name and yeah, it's just, it is it's so beautiful. It, it's um, It changes your life. It really changes your life. It does. But you right. know um, but the, the moment you walk in there and then the, the final day of Sunday is like such a transition. It's like layers of on, of the onion being peeled off one after another, but it's absolutely beautiful because in it was done in such it, it's it's a profound retreat to be able to do it in that manner. Probably one of the most profound changes to come out of the retreat for Anne Marie and David was forgiveness. During one portion of the weekend, retreatants have the opportunity to write an anger letter to whomever they have harbored anger with about their abortion. Yeah, and we were both of one mind. So when we wrote our <laughs> anger letters, yeah. she wrote it towards me and I wrote it towards me. So we, we were in perfect agreement there. But then things, like I said, surmount and surmount, right? Um, over time, it's like it never went away because the healing had never occurred. Truly, the true healing had never occurred. So yes, I believe for myself that once we went through the retreat, that we then had the ability to actually open up and talk more with each other, to be able to have true forgiveness towards each other um, and true forgiveness within ourselves. They walked away from the retreat as different people. It's not that their relationship was now perfect or that the healing they experienced removed all pain, but they left as people who completely encountered forgiveness and were now equipped with the tools to process pain when it surfaced, to engage in healthy conflict when a resentment cropped up, 
to allow their sorrow as an opportunity to connect with their child, Michael Vincent, whom they knew was with Jesus, rather than bearing the memory of an unnamed baby as a sole source of shame. The moment you walk in there, and then the, the final day of Sunday, is like such a transition. From the moment you walk in, you're so ashamed, and you have all of this despair in your heart and hurtfulness and all of that. But it's like a cocoon is what you put yourself into. But by Sunday, you cut, you begin to release that and you shed all of that. And then you move on to becoming a butterfly to be able to, you know, to be able to, to move on and journey and begin the journey of healing. Um, I mean, we didn't walk out of there like, oh my gosh, I'm totally, you know, it was, it was, there were moments still in my life that, you know, I would have these things that I had to um, still like deal with and work through, but I knew how to work through it from the retreat. These days, they are the ones facilitating the retreats. On Friday evenings, when anxious retreatants linger in the parking lot outside the retreat center, they are the ones to walk out and embrace them and welcome them with the same spirit of judgment-free love that they once received from Beth Bauer. During the meditations, David and Anne-Marie place bouquets of flowers into the hands of wounded women, picturing their child in a field of flowers. And when a couple believes they are beyond forgiveness, unredeemable. Dave and Anne-Marie are there to direct them towards the truth that is so radiantly and powerfully shared in the retreat practices. They are there to share their story. If you or anyone you know would like confidential, spiritual, or psychological support after suffering from the trauma of abortion, contact the Project Rachel helpline at one 722 4355 or Project Rachel at AOD.org. Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. This segment of Detroit Stories is brought to you by our friends at Catholic Funeral and Cemetery Services, a ministry of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Pre-planning your Catholic funeral is a gift of love for those you cherish. To learn more about pre-planning to prepare those you care about for this journey, visit cfcsdetroit.org.